Welcome to the Cornerstone Pickwick Sermon Discussion Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into the previous week's sermons and explore thoughts and ideas that we didn't have time for in the sermon. My name is Jamie Wellman. I'm one of the pastors at Cornerstone. And I'm Steve Mentor, one of the pastoral candidates here at Cornerstone. And if you haven't heard the sermons yet that we're going to be discussing, you can find both of those at cornerstonepickwood.org forward slash resources. The sermons that we'll be discussing today are What Do You Make of God from 1 Samuel 2, 12 to 36, and Here I Am from 1 Samuel 3, uh, 1 to 4, 1. Pray that it is helpful. Don't know where I want to go, I'm just driving How was your 4th of July celebration? Um, it was... It was good. Did you guys go watch fireworks somewhere? We did not. Did you grill out? We did. Okay. We grilled out last night. We had some people up and did that that meal we had with you guys. Yeah. Um, like all the vegetables and everything, just throw it on a grill. Oh, that was amazing. Fry it all up together and we yeah. did like a uh, cast iron skillet cookie and homemade ice cream. That was pretty good. But you didn't watch... You didn't do fireworks. Were the fireworks canceled in Greenville? Yeah, there wasn't any fireworks in Greenville. Uh, I know there's fireworks in in other areas, but fireworks starting at 10 o'clock with three little kids and 45-minute, half-hour drive home, that's a We didn't make it either, man. We we spent the day with some friends on uh, some lake kayaking and swimming and stuff. So it was in the sun, and it was really hot that day. And then we got back that night, and we had to go to uh, my friend's um, birthday party. He had like a surprise 40th birthday party at his church. So we showed up to that in the evening, had some cake, and it uh, got to be about 8 o'clock, 8.30 maybe, and we were kind of like, we're not going to make it. It's 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 too long. Mm-hmm. And we were in Troy, and they were having fireworks in Troy, but we were like, we're out of here. So we went back, and, and we watched Hamilton, which was a very American thing to do, which, by the way, is amazing. Hamilton's is it? amazing. Okay. It's great. So I, I, I've heard uh, several people mentioning it lately. And uh, so I guess I guess I should get on. Is it on Disney Plus? Disney Plus. Yeah, I guess I should get on Disney Plus and, and watch it. Um, see. I don't know. It's the... it's mostly hip hop. It's all singing. So it's kind of like an opera, except they don't sing an opera. It's mostly hip hop and some singing songs. And you you listen to you don't listen to hip hop. Do you like hip hop? I can't remember. Yeah. You do you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So you just went up a notch in my mind. <laughs> Yeah, it's I, it's I, good, man. It's like really cleverly written. Anyways, it's a good it's a good thing. You should check it out. I think Alyssa would probably like it too. Well, today we're discussing a couple of sermons, and so I want to jump into this. But before we get into the particulars of these two texts, something I I think would be good for us to kind of talk through mm-hmm. is First and Second Samuel are not epistles of the Apostle Paul. They're not like really. Yeah, he didn't write. He wrote some of the Bible, not all of the Bible. Oh, okay. right. You go to some churches. I'm confused on that. Yeah, well, you go to some churches, and all they do is is study Paul. We we are diverse. We are a diverse congregation in many ways, and this is one of the ways we we try to bounce back with, between Old Testament and New Testament law and gospel. Law and gospel, and so yeah. we're in the Old Testament, First and Second Samuel, and it is considered historical narrative. And you read historical narrative differently than you do epistles. Like, what are some of the differences between historical narrative and an epistle, for example? 
Well, it's like historical narrative. It's like you learn in, in, in Sunday school. It's, it's it's just all moral life lessons, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> be like Samuel. Be like be like Eli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Or, or or not. Or, on that or don't. Um, no. Um, historical narrative is different because it's not like you like you said. It's not like a, an epistle where Paul is laying out a case. This is you're you're reading a story, but if we Come to Scripture with the understanding that Scripture is God's self-revelation of Himself. Well, that would I guess that's what that would mean. But that it's God's self-revelation where He is proclaiming to us through His Word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, on the writers of these books. We don't have any idea who wrote this book, um, but it, it is God proclaiming His nature to us. And that's the point. That's the purpose of Scripture. Um, then we can, we can, if we approach it with that mindset, then as we read it, we can be looking for how God is revealing Himself. So there's a book in the Bible that doesn't actually mention God, and that's the book of Esther. But if you're really paying attention, you're really reading that book, um, you're taking your time and you're understanding that all of Scripture is God revealing Himself, God revealing the gospel, and everything is pointing to the, the culmination of the gospel. What the gospel is pointing to—that's Christ. Then you can—you'll start to see things. You start to understand things the way God is weaving this book together and the the series of books together. Yeah, it's uh, well. You had mentioned it. It is. Um... You have to you have to look, you have to look for things, and you read historical narrative a lot differently than you would read Paul, for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a there's a, there one of one of the books I had to read when I was in school was um, was uh, it, it told the story of a a a prof- biology professor who was teaching one of his students. Uh, Desiring God took this story and put it into like a video called mm-hmm. "Look at the Book" or "Look at Look the, the Fish." fish. Yeah. Look at the fish. Yep. And it's a, it's a really good principle for how to study the Bible. This biology professor tells his young student he has he hands him a jar with a fish in it, and he tells him, "I want you to write down all the observations that you can make about this fish." And so this student starts scribbling down all these observations. You know, a couple hours goes by and he thinks he's got it all, and then the professor comes back. And uh, he looks looks over the student's list, and he says, okay, keep looking at the fish. And he does this over and over and over again for many, many, many hours. And it's this taking this this object and turning it over in your mind and staring at it and noticing all the intricacies mm-hmm. and all the details. That's how you become a biologist. Well, it's a very similar thing with becoming a Bible student. When you're reading historical narrative, there's nothing there by accident. Every Every word matters. Every detail matters. And when you're reading these things, uh, you start noticing, you, if you're just reading for Samuel 3 or 4 one time, you're probably not going to catch a whole lot. It takes reading it and then rereading it and then rereading it. And then you start to see things. Mm-hmm. You start to see like double entendres. We, we notice a lot of that in the passage in chapter 3. Yeah, there's The author gives you uh, Gives you these words and phrases that mean two things, you know. The fact that Eli is going blind is not just a f- his physical condition; it's also an indication of his spiritual condition. And those are things that you 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 always 
uh, you always look for. You also mentioned looking for God revealing himself in these passages. What are some ways that, you, that God has revealed himself so far in, in First and Second Samuel? Well, I mean, this is what we talked about the last podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, you, you see Hannah's theology. You see God revealed in who Hannah understands God to be um, and just the nature of God. You see, um, you see the standard of God that God sets forth for his, for his uh, priest. You see, you see God has a righteous standard. So you see, it talks about now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Well, how are we determining what worthless is? This is being judged against who God is. Yeah. You know, so um, by him, actions are weighed. That's the phrase yes, she used. Yeah, she uses that that phrase there. Um, another, we can see um, here. Here's a good one. This is something we may we may talk about here in a little bit. This is verse 25 of chapter two. It says, "If if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him?" This is Eli talking to his sons. He's asking them a question, and and then it says this. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. But the verse doesn't stop there. There's there's a very interesting phrase at the end. This is something I highlighted as we we're as you're preaching through it, and I was reading it, and I, I highlighted this. It says, "They would not listen to the voice of their father." For you can you can replace that word for with the word because because it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. So you see that God is just in that statement. They are they are sinning. They're bringing reproach against the name of God by their actions as supposedly priests. And then you see God hardens their heart and he's bringing justice and judgment on them. Mm-hmm. So you see that God is just in that. I mean, there, there's so many different things. As you're reading through it, these, these different things that we might just pass over, they're revealing something to us about who God is. Yeah. Because everything is being judged by the standard of who God is. Right, right. So one of the functions of, of, of scriptures, one of the, the primary function of scripture is to reveal God to us. Mm-hmm. I grew up in, in evangelical churches and uh, I don't know if it was intentional. I have to suppose it wasn't an intentional thing. But I came away with this understanding that when I read the Bible, what I'm looking for is uh, what, how it applies to me. I'm looking for something to apply to my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking for myself, actually. I'm looking for ways in which I can improve myself, ways in which I can become a better, even, even a better follower of Jesus. Not even like a better person, but like a better follower of Jesus. And I, I have to think a lot of Christians approach the Bible in that way. What does this mean for me? Which is not wrong. That's not the wrong question to ask. Mm-hmm. It's just the wrong question to ask at the wrong time. The first question we ask is, who is God? Mm-hmm. What is this passage teaching us about who God is? How will that change the way we approach Scripture? Well, I think if... <coughs> excuse me. I think if we understand... That scripture is revealing God to us, I think it's going to, so many times we have, um, there, there's a difference in, in the way people view 
the Christian life and, and our salvation and the Christian walk and all that stuff. And and a lot of times without even realizing we fall into a man-centered view of salvation and a man-centered view of Christianity where Christianity is about uh, me. Christianity is about my walk. It's about my journey. It's about my whatever. And you, you hear these, my relationship with God and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but... I think when we when we approach scripture from the standpoint of this is God revealing himself to us it takes the attention off of us predominantly and onto who God is and from that then we are informed about who we are as in our natural state um so I think that that's a big big thing right there if if we think there's a phrase that uh, a guy that I listen to he uses he says what you win them with is what you win them to Right, so if if you're preaching, if you're evangelizing somebody, and you're going in there and you're telling them all the things that, all the ways their life is going to improve if they become a believer, and they so they pray the prayer and they be, they become a believer, and then they go to scripture and they start reading, and they're trying to figure out, okay, so how is this telling me how I'm going to have a better life? They're going to miss it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're going to miss all of it. They're, they're going to read this story of Samuel, and they're going to they're going to look at Eli, and they're going to understand rightly. Don't be like Eli, but they're not going to understand how this is showing them who God is, and that will that will guide their steps. Because Christianity is not about the the way God improves your life here in the here and now. Maybe there's some improvement, but if you go to the New Testament and you see. Guys who are following God, following Christ, Christ promises them, you will be put to death because of this. And this isn't, that's, the point is not health, wealth, and happiness. And if we're, if, and so if, if you're approaching it in that way, where this is, how is this going to improve my life? Or how can I take what I'm learning here to fix things about my life? You're, you're, you're missing God in it. In, which is the point. This is God's story to us, not our story about God. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and when, you, when you let the scripture speak for itself, when God yeah. is the center, he's the weight, the middle of, of scripture, then when you come across the passage you mentioned earlier in, in, in chapter 2, verse 25, where we read that it was the will of the Lord to put Hophni and Phinehas to death. You read that, and if you have a God-centered approach of Scripture, you take that and you're troubled by it. And you, I think you're supposed to feel the kind of shock of that. Right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and you should rightly feel the shock of that. But if, if you read it from a man-centered perspective, then what that does, I think, when you come across a verse like 25, is you tend to think it can't mean that. It can't mm-hmm. mean that God would will to put someone to death because you're thinking... Other places in the Bible, like in Ezekiel, where it says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. And yet here we see that God is willing the death of the wicked. Yeah. So a God-centered approach allows you to approach those two things happening in God and to to humbly step aside and to say, okay, the Bible is true. We know that. Mm -hmm. The Bible is a revelation of God. We know that. How is it that these two things can work? So let me just ask you, what, what are your thoughts about that? So we, we do read this shocking statement that God willed the death of Hophni and Phinehas. 
And we also know from other places in the Bible that it is not the Lord's will to put to death, to put to death the wicked. So how do you how do you reconcile those two things? Is that a contradiction? I don't think it is a contradiction. I think it's it's a paradox. Okay. So and I'm I'm not using paradox in the in the English way. So in actually in England, they in um certain certain English writers have gotten in trouble with an American audience because of this. They'll use those two words interchangeably contradiction and paradox which they're not para means alongside right so so these are two truths paradox so uh dox doxology teaching Mm -hmm. you know so these these are two truths that are are being put alongside of each other they're not if you think of it mathematically these are parallel lines not perpendicular lines Mm -hmm. these don't these aren't moving in different directions it can it can almost seem like they are but we we see um think of uh what is it uh second peter where um he says that i can't remember the the actual passage right now but god is saying people are thinking that god is slow in his coming with his promises Mm -hmm. but he's god is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to all, all should come to to faith and but then you see jesus he's talking to the to to the crowds and he says my sheep hear my voice, and then he says, "You don't hear my voice. You don't understand." Which means you don't. You're not understanding what I'm saying. You're not hearing what I'm really saying. You're just hearing words. My my sheep hear my voice. You're not hearing my voice because you are not of my sheep. So how can Peter says Peter's Jesus is apostle. He's sent out. That's what apostle means. He's saying. God's not willing that any should perish. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you're not hearing me because you're, you're not of my sheep. Mm-hmm. So these two things are, are paradoxical. So some theologians have described it, many theologians have described it as you have the decree of God, this, this decretal will of God, where, and this is God's secret will. These are the things that it talks about where um, the secret things belong to the Lord. We don't know how God is working all these things out. But then we also know that it is the will of God. God desires it because it is what he prescribes to us that we repent and believe. But we also know that not everyone will repent and believe. But then we go to Romans chapter nine. Are we able to stand up against God's will? No, we're not. So putting all of these things together, that's why it's important like that as you said earlier, that we preach through the whole Bible, jumping between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and trying to bring all of what we know in Scripture together. Um, because in a lot of times when God is being described, he's we're trying to describe an infinite being with finite language. Yeah, like we can't describe an infinite being. That's literally impossible. Yeah, but we're we're having to try to figure out ways to describe it so that we understand. Well, and and it takes a, a, a it takes a bit of humility, because if you if you approach scripture with a God centered approach, then uh, you you can allow for things that in our minds they seem to be a contradiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, God is an infinite being, which means that His attributes are infinite. He is infinitely complex beyond any way that we could possibly understand him. And so therefore there can be these kind of dueling in our mind, dueling wills within God mm-hmm. where he can not will the death of the wicked or, or not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but then will the death 
of the wicked. You see this in most clearly, at least to my mind, the, the most clear example of this is the cross. Yeah. Because in Isaiah 53, we learn that the Lord willed that he would be crushed, that his own son would be crushed. And yet, um, it did not, and, and then you see that God sent him anyway. You know, you have this, this, this terrible thing that's going to happen to God the son, and yet God willed that to happen. And so you have these two things happening in God. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier with God being a just God because mm -hmm. God is holy, because God is just. He's, he's merciful and he's also just. Yeah. And these two things work together. I mean, what, what we were saying right there just goes right along with Acts chapter, chapter 4, verse 27. It says, for truly in this city, this is the, this is the, uh, the, the infant church right after Pentecost, um, he said, "For truly, in this city, we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anoint, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, among the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place." Yeah. And the the paradox there is, Herod and Pontius Pilate, among the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, and they will all be held to account for the sin. Of killing the the incarnate Christ for killing Jesus, the Son of God, they will be held to account for that sin. But it says to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. There was no possibility that Christ would not be crucified, and there is no possibility that those that the people who did that are going to get out of their sin because well you you planned it. So I was just doing what you told me to do. Yeah. They are culpable for their sin because they did it because they wanted to. Yeah. But God decreed it before the foundation of the world. Yeah. Well, you said it before that you know we are made in the image of God. God is not made in the image of us. Mm -hmm. and so we have to hold him up there. One of the other things that we see in, in, in these couple of chapters that we discussed the last couple of weeks is a... Um, Eli is uh, the priest in Israel, and he has these two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And he recognizes, he's told by the people that they're doing these wicked things. They're desecrating the sacrifices of God. They're extorting from the people. They're sexually abusing the women who served in the temple. And Eli rebukes these, his sons, but he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't act mm -hmm. against them. He doesn't remove them from office. And then God sends a prophet to warn him and tell him this sin that your sons are committing and that you're not doing anything about will lead to the destruction of your entire household. And then we come to chapter three and it sure seems like nothing has happened. We don't know how much time has taken place between the two chapters, mm -hmm. but it sure seems like nothing's happened. And then God comes to this young boy, Samuel, and God speaks to Samuel. And the thing that God tells Samuel is that I'm going to do what I promised Eli to do. Why is it, do you think, that Eli was so reluctant to, to, to remove his sons from office, to do anything about the wickedness of his own sons? <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I think it's very hard to, a lot of times, do what we need to do because we, and I think part of it, as far as calling out sin, I think this we're gonna 
as we as we continue this conversation, we might talk about how we're calling out sin in the church, and it is it's a lot easier to to speak against it than it actually is to do anything, and which you, which you see going on right now in in culture, right? Mm-hmm. Silence is violence, and and all of these these mantras that are put out there, and if you're if you're not posting things on Facebook, then you're you're capitulating with the with the wrong side or something you're 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 doing something bad because you're not saying something you you have to you have to say the right words in the right ways and and all this kind of stuff in order to be seen as to be on the right side but i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you posting something on facebook about whatever the political winds wherever the political winds of the day or social winds of the day are blowing is not doing anything. But then another problem is you have people who want to say, well, just do something. And so you see that happening in our culture where people are just just acting, just, just doing things. You see that with, with the, the, the Congress and the Senate right now, our government. They're just doing stuff. They're spending $2.2 trillion, right? The problem is, is nobody's taking the time to step back know what the sin is, know what the problem is, and then seek for biblical answers. And then acting in a way... So so in Eli's case, he knew what the problem was, and I'm sure he probably knew what the action would be. You would think. It would be rather easy. All right, boys, you're fired. Yeah. But... It's easier to just speak against it and say, "See, I've done my part." Yeah. But then again, we can't also fall into the other thing where we just do things without taking the time to think through it and make sure what we're doing is actually good in the long run, or even in the short term. Yeah. Well, the way God understood Eli's inaction was, "You honor your sons above me." Mm-hmm. And I think that was really where the hammer fell for Eli mm-hmm. in that that was the indictment against him is that by Eli's inaction, by not doing anything about sin in, in Israel, sin in his own household, he was, he was honoring himself, his sons above, above the Lord. And we can all do that. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's the difference between confession and repentance, right? So confess, confession is just owning up to our sin. And that's a necessary part. If you confess yeah. your sins, God is faithful and just. So there is a confession that is necessary. Eli had, I don't think, an issue with confessing because he said, sons, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. But, is, but his issue was he was not repentant. He didn't do anything about it. He just, he just let it continue on. Is this why? Um, why do you think? Why do you think this sort of thing happens in our lives and and in our churches? Is it an honor thing? Is it that we we love our sin more than we love God? Is that what it is? I think a lot of it is we fear man more than we fear God. I think we we love. <laughs> I, we wouldn't sin if it wasn't fun in, in, in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't sin begrudgingly. Yeah. yeah. 
That's you true. know, like I was. I, so I was thinking about this when I was driving here because I was driving, and so I'm. I am from. I, I did live most of my life in New England, and we have a certain in New England. There is a certain idea about drivers, and um, you know that stereotype was not did not create itself. Um, <laughs> and the person in front of me just. I don't think they understood what driving was. One minute they're driving super slow. The next minute they're driving super fast. And then they're slamming on their brakes for somebody hundreds of yards ahead of them. And then so I, I was getting very, very frustrated. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I, as I was driving, I was thinking about why am I like, I need to just chill out. Am I, I'm frustrated and wanting to say all kinds of bad things. Because he's going to make me late to discuss the sermon in the podcast. (laughs) Like, but I wasn't, uh, me in that moment and my anger and frustration as I'm driving, I wasn't acting that way because I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. That was me acting the way I wanted to be acting. And then there was the Lord's conviction behind it being like, you you really think you're going to go and you're going to, discuss these sermons and and you're acting like this mm-hmm. you know and I, I i told myself i wasn't going to tell that story on the podcast but here we are here we are <laughs> it's confession so there's brother. confession no. no so the question is is there repentance there <laughs> right. so when i drive home am i going to be repentant so so confession is a, is an act of speech repentance is a direction yeah so it's it, to, re, to repent means to go the opposite direction to move away from what you were doing in a, in a, in a new direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's just to recognize the honor of the Lord is greater than the thing that I want. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's ultimately for my good, you know, in the end. But I think what you said earlier was such a massive point that we fear man more than we fear God. That I think that is probably the reason why, like when you're looking at churches, for example, um, some churches or you know churches you know that this happens to where sin goes unchecked it goes unaddressed uh, I, I I have to wonder the reason that we might give is that we're we're, we're being loving but I have to think the reason actually is is that we're we're being afraid because we like when people like us nobody likes mm-hmm. to be disliked right um, even those people who who say that just they don't care about what people think. Yeah, that's a cover up. Um, because if you really didn't, you wouldn't have to tell everyone. Yeah, even our own president likes to be liked. Believe it or not. Oh, a lot. <laughs> and so churches uh, sometimes let ch- sin go unchecked mm-hmm. um, because of, of this. And the Apostle Paul deals with this with the Corinthian church. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different situation because they didn't seem to just be like leaving it unchecked. In First Corinthians five, they're just letting it go and celebrating it. There's some people in the church that are just celebrating it, but not everyone's on board, right? Because that that chapter he starts it off by saying it's actually reported from among you. So I don't know who it is that's reporting this to the Apostle Paul, but I'm thankful that they do. So there's some people in the church who are recognizing their sin in the church, and it's not being addressed, actually being celebrated. And what does Paul tell them to do with his sin? Well, in in the chapter, he says, uh, um, 
I'm here in, in chapter five. Um, it says, when you are assembled to get, assembled in the name of Jesus, in, in, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of, the, of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that the spirit might be saved from the in the day of the Lord. You know, that's that's harsh. Yeah, like heavy. That's this is important that we call out sin. Mm-hmm. And it's it's important that we call out sin so that they may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's important that we call out sin. Another place Paul talks about um church discipline and in in the place I'm thinking of is more specifically about uh bringing a charge against an elder which is different he has a different standard for bringing a charge against an elder than he would someone else just because of their position but it's a much weightier thing and he says the reason you're doing this rebuking publicly in these situations is so that the rest of everyone may fear the rest of everyone may, may see and be turned and brought back into to alignment with with God's will, with God's righteous standard. Yeah. Um, Eli was a leader in Israel, yeah. and the judgment of God fell on him heavy. In his, you know, you you read the end of chapter two, and the promise of God in chapter three: what's going to happen, and his household will be wiped out. Mm-hmm. It will be completely wiped out. We'll see this eventually come back up later in the chapters in for Samuel, um, when 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 King David is is king, but his his household gets wiped out. Here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in chapters four through seven, and we're going to see how Hophni and Phineas die. The Lord does not coincidentally exactly how it was prophes- exactly. prophesied by God. Yep, from beginning to end, as God told Samuel, and. It, it is a sobering thing, you're exactly right, that sin, there's no free lunch, mm-hmm. that there's always a price to pay. But the good news is that price for those who are in Christ has been paid, mm-hmm. that the price of sin in our life for the repentant has been paid. And, and the cross is the primary place where we see the cost of sin. It cost God the Son to wrap himself in human flesh and to suffer in our place in order to save us for all of the ways in which we have not dealt with sin in our own life. Mm-hmm. And so it just becomes that much more important for all of us to be appealing to the cross over and over and over again, knowing that no matter how many times, no matter how often it happens, these sins which plague us are always forgiven when we turn to the Lord. And that's what repentance means, right? That's, mm-hmm. It's that turning. It's not just turning away from sin. That's morality. Yeah. It's turning to Christ yeah. in, in honoring Him above all else. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, uh, you can head on over to cornerstonepickwood.org and click on the Contact Us link. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And just search for Cornerstone Pickwood. If you don't have a home church, we gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. You can find directions on the website. Grace and peace.